Garth Brooks sings a typical country western song and it's about a man who wanted to marry a certain woman and it didn't happen. But later he discovered she would have been the wrong woman. And so from that came this song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Now that's not my English. <laughs> this song speaks to a myriad of experiences, times when you and I have prayed about a perceived need and God's response was silence, an obvious no, or an unbearable wait. Disappointed, frustrated, heartbroken, we struggle with our faith. Does prayer work? I've asked that many times. Does God care? I'm fascinated that King David, a man after God's own heart, had a lot of similar struggles when we read, I cried out to God for help at night. I stretched out on tiring hands. I was too troubled to speak. Will the Lord reject forever? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Have you ever had those questions? You know, anytime I get beyond surface conversations with people on the subject of God, I find most of us are, have stories about struggles with unanswered prayer, with waiting, with disappointment. And our text is about the anger and frustration Mary and Martha, close friends of Jesus, felt when Jesus delayed responding to their plea that he come and heal their desperately ill brother, Lazarus. Listen to the drama in this sad story. First it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And by the time Jesus did arrive, Lazarus had been dead four days, and Mary and Martha greeted him with these words that said lots. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Implying, Jesus, how could you? We thought you were our friend, and if you loved us, if you have power to open blind eyes and heal crippled limbs, why weren't you here to help heal our brother when we so desperately needed you? Why didn't you show up? Haven't we asked that? Many of us have had similar dialogues with Jesus. I believe it. Maybe we aren't too public about it when we said, Jesus, you knew I needed that job, that promotion, that house, that relationship, that healing, that child bugging me in my life and you haven't taken it away. Why? You claim to love me. Why didn't you show up when I needed you, when I cried out to you? Those are very legitimate human cries. And if you haven't been there, maybe you need to sharpen your personal relationship with Jesus because he is that personal. And I can promise you life will inevitably thrust upon all of us experiences of pain and loss because and because the answers we received to our prayers at that time will be different than what we wanted or what we expected, we need help. And that's why I know this text will be helpful to us. So first, rather than rebuke us for our grief, anger, and lack of faith, Jesus accepts our feelings with compassion. I want us to understand that. One of the most dramatic scenes in the life of Jesus, in my opinion, happens here. When in response to the pain of his good friends, Mary and Martha, he doesn't rebuke them for lashing out at him, compassion wells up in his heart so much that we read Jesus wept. Jesus cries. He wailed, as the original says. And his tears give this message. Mary and Martha, I know what you're feeling. 
Your loss seems to contradict my love. I agonize with your pain. Of course you wanted me to save your brother. My heart's breaking with yours. <coughs> and it's okay right now for you to be angry and hold me responsible. Isn't it incredible to know God's reaction when we cry out to him? Do you ever wonder how Jesus feels when we suffer a loss and we, we're angry at him? We dialogue with him. We accuse him. We spew stuff out of our heart at him. He doesn't rebuke us and tell us, hey, you know, you really don't have much faith. How can you love me and do that? No. What we read is Jesus cries with us like a parent cries when their child is hurting. And you see, because of the child's limited understanding of the situation, there's nothing more a parent can do than agonize with the child and sometimes cry with them. For some reason, this reminded me of an incident years ago when our Leslie was five years old and she was thrown from her horse and her arm was badly broken and I took her to the hospital and immediately they took her into x-ray where I couldn't be with her and her mom couldn't. And we can remember standing there outside the room hearing her cry out, daddy or mommy, come and save me. She didn't understand. She was in pain. She was afraid and we were feeling her pain with her. She was then taken to surgery followed by 21 days in traction. And I thought about it, obviously at five, she couldn't understand what was happening to her. She felt abandoned by her parents in her fear and her pain. And because of her age, she didn't have the capacity to see the bigger picture, namely all that her parents were allowing to happen to her was for her healing, not her hurt. And it occurred to me, this is exactly the situation Jesus is in now when we lash out at him. He doesn't rebuke us. His only desire is to embrace us with his love and to cry with us because he knows what we don't know. He understands what we don't understand. I think this drama gives us an important truth. Our Lord gives us freedom to express real feelings in our relationship with him. When we're disappointed, when his response to our prayer seems so to deny his love, when we're in horrible pain and he just isn't there, or at least we don't feel that he's there, it's good to know that when our knees of faith buckle under pain and our hearts break, Jesus doesn't rebuke us. I think this is the good news that we read in the Bible. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And there's one other element. We as the church are the body of Christ. And I want this to be a place where we don't have to put on a false face of faith in hard times. When your faith your knees are buckling under a, a, a horrible thing when your faith isn't working, when you feel angry at God, when you, you're even angry at the church. Isn't this a neat place to come here and be safe rather than rebuked and made to feel guilty? Jesus created that freedom for us at this drama beside an open tomb. And today, I don't know where you are. I don't even know where your, where your faith is, but God does. And it's okay, whatever your feelings. And you can feel as angry as you need to be at God. And you don't have to understand our Lord's one response is he brought you here to put his arms around you in love and to cry with you. A second truth. <clears throat> when we're caught in miry bogs of grief, pain, anger, and despair, Jesus doesn't only weep. He shows up to bring us hope. And that's what I pray he's going to do today. You see, after expressing their despair, Jesus gives to Mary and Martha this promise. Your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. But then the little unnoticed phrase, do you believe this? Do you? You see, believing that Jesus can do the impossible even in graveyards of despair, that's a tall order. Let's crawl into this a little bit. Think about what Jesus is asking these women to do. 
arriving too late to save their brother. Now he's asking them to believe what by human logic is impossible. Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for four days in a, in a sealed tomb in a hot climate. And now he says, Mary, Martha, do you believe that your brother's going to walk again, walk alive out of that tomb? Do you believe I can do it? You know what I suppose? I bet they said to themselves, no, you can't. No, you won't. And as Christians, so often in church or in company, we theoretically say, oh, Jesus does miracles. And we really believe it. But you know what happens? When we confront what appears to be a real, impossible obstacle or a heart-rending loss, and we need him to do a miracle for us, we really don't believe it. And that's why we wring our hands rather than rest in peace. And then what complicates it even more is that we want Jesus not just to do a miracle, we want him to use our timetable with our desired outcomes that are usually connected to our happiness in this world. And you know what? Jesus won't do that. He's not a genie we rub to get our will. He didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us like himself. Experience has taught me that if we're going to find the peace Jesus promises to us as believers, we're going to have to practice the discipline of trusting what we cannot see or feel, what logic says is impossible. And what's even more important is that we have to make peace with this painful truth Jesus never promised us a life free from pain and loss, so why should we be shocked when it happens? Quite the contrary. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross. And cross implies dying to self. And Paul talks about how we're called to share Christ's sufferings as a prelude to sharing his joy. But you know what Jesus does promise? He promises that our Heavenly Father will one day take the remnants of our broken dreams and our hopes and he'll weave them into a perfect pattern that will appear as something beautiful because God has all eternity to make things right. And that's what the Bible means in saying tears may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I want to pop in here with something else. If you're really hurting, what I just said for many of us won't help a bit. Sounds like a cliche. Tears may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And if morning means eternity, that isn't much help when we want help right now. Because you see, one of the things that we have to make peace with as Christians who live in Silicon Valley, where we have instant gratification, where most of our efforts and time are devoted to this world, happiness now, we got to get it now, is that Jesus says most of the things that he's going to weave into a perfect plan will happen in the future. <clears throat> morning does not mean tomorrow. It might mean in eternity. And if it means in eternity, that's where we really get disappointed. <clears throat> in one thing, to say, oh, you know, someday we're going to be in heaven and it's going to be great, and I can wait till we get to heaven and Jesus will show me it's all right. When you're really hurting, that isn't much comfort. And you know why? Because we're really pretty addicted to this world and we want to have it happen now. And we've been sold such a bill of goods and we've bought it that to, to look forward to eternity, which is really the only thing that matters when you contrast it to these few years of time, we really want Jesus to do it now our way in this world. And that's why we're in trouble. That's why we don't find peace. That's why we don't really believe what Jesus can do. Of course he can do it if we give him all eternity. Will he do it today? Probably not. How do we grow in our spiritual journey to making peace with the question he asked Mary and Martha? Do we believe this is true? I got to say one more thing. When you join this church, we say our goal is to make you 
grow into the limit or lead you to grow into the image of Jesus, to become like Jesus. Do you know how we get there? Not through good, easy times. The only way we ever become like Jesus is we're carved into his likeness through pain and suffering. Good times, we don't really need him. It's when we're desperate that we need him, and that's when we get personal with him, and that's when we become like him. And that isn't too good of news, and yet, um, you know, it's okay, Scott. <laughs> it's just true. And because it's true, do you want to be like Jesus or do you want to be happy for a few years? So why wring our hands and get upset when hard times come when it might be the very moment when God's answering your prayer? <clears throat> you know, we've got to grow beyond childish demands that Jesus do a miracle now if we're going to find his peace, that he take away our pain now, solve our problem now, because all of it indicates how limited and earthbound our desires and dreams can be. Uh, <clears throat> I was away on vacation with my two, one of my grandchildren, a two-year-old, and do you know what made her most happy? Out of the whole world in this beautiful vacation place, she wanted a lollipop. And I mean, you hold a lollipop to her and her world was fulfilled and you withdrew it and you thought whatever <clears throat> you know what and I don't mean to, to depreciate or limit your pain but so often what we want from God is nothing more than a lollipop when we compare it with eternity and God won't give us a lollipop he has something so much better. Little Megan doesn't know that, but in 20 years, she's not going to be asking for a lollipop. Maybe a new car, I don't know, but <clears throat> it's going to be like that in heaven. It's just that we have to think eternal. And we've been sold a bill of goods to think mortal. Three score years and 10. I believe Jesus raised Lazarus that day for a specific purpose to dramatize his power, to change the darkest, most hopeless of situations into new beginnings of life, and they will stretch into eternity. Think of how many times in Scripture God intervened in tragic circumstances, transforming his children's grief into dancing. Job lost everything, his children, his wife, his health, wealth, and then he cried, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But he also said, my eye has grown, grown dim with grief. And yet the story ends with his whole life coming back together again. King David, the loss of his son, lamented, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And yet in the Psalms, he confesses over and over again, God reached down from on high and took hold of me and drew me out of the deep waters, out of the miry bog, out of the pit, and he put my feet on a rock of hope, and that's what he wants to do for you today. He won't take away your pain, but he'll be with you on it and put you on that rock of hope that your God hasn't forsaken you. Grief isn't a denial of our faith. It's an emotion God gave us to help cushion the shock of loss. Grief acts like a pressure valve that releases before our heart breaks. Grief sows the seeds of resurrection preparing us to throw ourselves into the arms of Jesus as he renews our trust in his timing and his power and his methods to bring dead situations to life. And I need to tell you, trust Jesus when he says he's not absent. He's not delaying to your hurt that one day you're going to see and praise him. Oh, he had a plan. And all I wanted was a lollipop and he had that for me. How much better. 
You see, Jesus miraculously raised Lazarus from the dead to show us his power to work in yours and my graveyards of impossibility. Our Christian faith is rooted in these facts about our Heavenly Father. With God, all things are possible. Everything is possible for the one who believes. As we prepare for Easter, I want Jesus Christ to so fill us with his hope, especially every needy heart that we'll know nothing is impossible for our God and we can start living rather than just enduring life and find Christ's peace in the midst of these storms that will come. Now keep in mind, faith doesn't deny your pain. I read recently how biologists rank the complexity of living creatures by their ability to feel pain. Oysters don't feel much pain. I wonder how many of us would opt to retreat down the ladder of life to become creatures who don't feel pain. Part of being human, created in the image of God, means we bleed, we hurt, we grieve and cry because God grieves and hurts and bleeds and cries. Jesus showed us that. But upon that anvil of pain, God hammers out the image on, in our hearts of the compassion and love of his son. And what's more, our pain becomes a bond that holds us to others. Have you ever been in a cancer support group? That common need bonds you together like brothers and sisters. And then you go through loss together and come out the other side triumphantly to give witness to, again, the incredible truth of Easter that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So I want to leave you with this promise by way of encouragement. It's really true. Tears may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Maybe not tomorrow morning, in God's morning. And because this is true, may the Spirit of God so work in our hearts this day that our morning will be transformed into dancing of hope and joy. Or as Isaiah the prophet said, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. And say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. You can bet your life on it. Trust God in the area of your greatest need this week. Why don't we see what happens? Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, we want you to give us the power to practice the discipline of boldly trusting you. To get out of our childish demands that you cater to our needs and give us the maturity of asking for what you want us to have. And may that maturity transform our morning into dancing. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.